domestic violence is not only increasing, what is also increasing is the abuse tactics that are utilized that are considerably more lethal um, than what we have been seeing. Most individuals who are in a domestic violence um, relationship, they have a loved one out there who suspects it. Maybe they don't know it, but they suspect it. And now's the time for us to call, call our loved ones and call them, call our friends who we may have a concern about and just check in with them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational conversation about leadership, power, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. I am the millennial voice of this podcast and Ann's niece. And our topic today is gender violence, which is an unchecked pandemic all by itself here in the United States and globally. But add to the mix the stay-at-home orders and economic and psychological stress of the COVID-19 crisis and dangerous situations, particularly for women, are suddenly volatile. Right. Uh, and for millions of women and girls, there is no such thing as the safety of their homes. The United States Secretary General uh, recently warned that they've seen horrifying global surge in domestic violence and were urging the world leaders to include protective measures in their national response plans for dealing with the impact of COVID-19. So our three guests today bring decades of heartbreaking experience working daily to help and heal survivors of uh, what I believe should rightly be called a gender violence pandemic. Beth Morrison has had a long career working with survivors of domestic and sexual violence. Uh, I got to know Beth during her 14 years here in Michigan, where she served as the CEO of Haven domestic violence shelter in the Detroit area. And she is now leading the Our Family Services nonprofit in Tucson, Arizona. Hello, Beth, welcome. Good morning, Anne and Monica. Thanks for having me. And we also have with us Amy Good, uh, the founding CEO of the Alternatives for Girls, a Detroit-based nonprofit that serves homelessness and the high-risk girls and young women face. Uh, over three decades in that role, Amy and her team have served over 30,000 girls and women facing homelessness, sex exploitation, and sex trafficking. And Melissa Sinclair is the Director of Social Action and Haven, a center and shelter for survivors of intimate partner violence and sexual assault here in the Detroit area. She has also worked with thousands of domestic violence survivors. Thanks. Welcome, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us and greetings to all colleagues. Thanks for having us. So Beth, Amy, and Melissa, you are each passionate advocates who have dedicated your working lives to eradicating this pandemic of um, intimate uh, partner and gender violence. Um, Melissa, I want to begin with you. Um, tell me what you have seen just most recently in the weeks since um, people have been uh, ordered to stay at home. You know, what we're seeing here um, in Oakland County, which is really reflective of what is going on around the globe, is that domestic violence is not only increasing, what is also increasing is the abuse tactics that are utilized that are considerably more lethal 
um, than what we have been seeing. So what I mean by that is there are more um, dangerous types of abuses that uh, abusers are, are using to exert that power and control. So that might look like strangulation, that might look like sexual assault and coercion, that might look like further isolation just beyond staying in the home, you know, reducing that contact of friends and family so that that survivor doesn't really have a lot of resources or people to reach out to based on that power and control. You know, abusers are feeling a loss in control of their lives just as we all are. You know, what we've learned through this pandemic is that on a moment's notice, your life can drastically change. And some people handle that change better. You know, abusers are now taking this opportunity to exert more power and control, to increase the lethality, to escalate in their abuse tactics with that survivor, to try to, I would guess, regain some semblance of control in their lives. And so unfortunately, uh, we have seen two homicides here in Oakland County that are directly related um, to intimate partner violence. And that is incredibly concerning um, because we know now um, that there just aren't a lot of places for survivors to go. Many shelters are full. Um, family members aren't as willing to take people in. And so it is critically important for us to continue this conversation about domestic violence, to think about creatively how we can help survivors uh, during this time when they need it the most. Amy, give us your perspective uh, through your lens on the front lines of the work you do. We are seeing uh, stories that range from new and creative ways for abusers to exert their power and control. We've heard stories of abusers uh, coughing on their partners um, and, and doing things to at least give the impression that they're, they're exposing them to the virus. There is less of an opportunity to make a call, to reach out, to make a call in private or even um, a text or, or, you know, searching a website for help in private. Um, we've heard stories of, oh, there's, there's a woman that's reached out to us um, who just with the escalation in the recent weeks has acknowledged to herself that she is experiencing violence, intimate partner violence. Um, one of the things that needs to happen is for friends to look out for friends. Um, somebody might be in a, in a violent, dangerous situation and unable to reach out for help and need to be checked up on by, by others who care about them. Beth, why don't you weigh in for us too? What's been shown around the world is, you know, upwards to like 30 to 40% increase in the volume of domestic violence calls to law enforcement, to hotlines. Um, and so, you know, to have that high of a jump um, around the world um, in just a couple of weeks is, is pretty significant. You know, one of the first tactics that an abuser will use um, kind of in establishing that power and control, because that's what this is all about, um, is isolation, is to isolate somebody from their family, from their friends, um, often masked as, you know, love, I want to be with you, you know, it's like, a, I just want to be with you, I want you to be with me because we love each other, you know, all of that, and, and, and that's often where it starts, so this is like the perfect setup <laughs> for an abuser is to have forced isolation, um, and research has shown that the tactics um, used by an abusive um, partner are very similar to what kidnappers use. 
Um, and, and so mm -hmm. in, in respect, some people can feel like now that they are uh, kidnapped, that they're, you know, being held against their will within their home. Um, and I think that what we can do is to offer support to those individuals, because as Amy said, they may not have the ability to call a hotline. It might not be safe for them to go online and do a chat with a national hotline or to you know, look up resources. But, you know, most individuals who are in a domestic violence um, relationship, they have a loved one out there who suspects it. Maybe they don't know it, but they suspect it. And now's the time for us to call call our loved ones and call them, call our friends who we may have a concern about and just check in with them and to do it periodically and to be able to offer some support to them over the phone to check in and ask them, are you safe at home? Bill, what, what did you mean about... Um that the abusers use similar tactics to what kidnappers use. What did you well, mean some by of the, that? Well, some of the research that's been done over the years um, is, is, you know, there's certain tactics that kidnappers use, um, you know, and they call mm -hmm. it the Stockholm syndrome. It's like, so when, when somebody, if you, you know, kidnap the president of the bank because you're gonna hold them for ransom, um, you know, some of the tactics that, that kidnappers gonna use to, to kind of get that, that um, person they've kidnapped kind of on their side. Um, they're going to, you know, withhold food. Um, they're going to force them to perform certain kinds of activities. Um, they're going to manipulate them. They're going to set it up so that the, the individual who's been kidnapped um, thinks it's their fault. If only you would have locked the bank up in time, you know, it's the same thing that an abuser is going to tell their partner. If only you would have cooked dinner in time, if only you would have, you know, made the bed correctly, if only you were better at sex, whatever it is, um, you know, and so it's really similar tactics so that the, the, the victim, if you will, kidnap victim, or in this case, the intimate partner victim is like, well, gosh, if I would have just done this or that, um, or if I do this or that, things will get better. What is the first step that a domestic abuse sufferer has to take nowadays? Things have drastically changed because as has been pointed out, you know, we're spending more time in the home. There is less opportunity to make that safe call. What I have heard is some survivors, you know, taking their dog for a walk and, and making that call to a hotline, going to their vehicle if that's safe for them. You know, if the abuser is really, really sleeping very heavily, they're able to make that call. I think that also, you know, survivors are experts in their own experience and in their own life. And so they also know how to navigate that abuser to the best of their ability because they have survived so far. And so we are strategizing in a different way, um, getting really creative with our different options for survivors. So that way they feel like they can create a safer environment in their home or try to reduce some risk of harm. But of course, you know, that, that plan changes at a moment's notice. It really has to be fluid. You know, so, Beth, I'm wondering about your, uh, because of your role, I mean, you are obviously the CEO at Haven, a domestic violence shelter for many, many years, now uh, heading up a family social services organization in Tucson, Arizona. Um, this widens it to the, the children. I mean, it brings up the issue of we've been talking about the victims, the women themselves, but um, share with us um, what's going on um, in terms of the children who are um, also caught in this situation. 
Well, absolutely. And, and one of the things that often um, will bring a woman into services is when she feels that the shift from the abuse is to, towards her is shifting towards the children. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's experiencing more stress, um, even in families that are not experiencing and don't have a history of violence. Um, things are much more stressful as parents are trying to work from home, or they're trying to school their children and keep everybody fed and you know all of that. Um, and so children's presence in the homes certainly could escalate um, violence just because of the added stress, the added financial cost, um, the, you know, extra noise in the home. And often it, you know, kind of goes back to, you know, mom needs to keep the kids quiet. Mom needs to keep the kids entertained. If she was a better mom, this wouldn't be happening. Amy, um, that brings us to your work, which is um, not specifically domestic violence. I mean, obviously, gender violence is a part of it, but you also get very much, Mm -hmm. you're working with victims of saving victims of sexual trafficking, um, Mm -hmm. young women on the street in terms of prostitution. Mm -hmm. I mean, all kinds of uh, terrible situations that bring them to you. Um, Give us a little perspective on um, Mm -hmm. other areas besides intimate partner or domestic violence that's going on. One of the things that we do that's somewhat unique is that we take in unaccompanied minors. Um, Most uh, domestic violence shelters are not able to take unaccompanied minors unless those minors are legally emancipated, which is a really arduous, uh, arduous, long process. Um, So one of the things that we find with the youth um, that we serve on the street, as well as those who come to our door, Uh, and call into our crisis resource center is that they don't identify their situations as one of domestic violence, but after some conversation and education um, and some time where they get comfortable sharing about what's going on with them, um, we find and they discover that that's what is going on. I want each of you to mention um, how people can reach you. Alternatives to Girls is uh, our our, uh, hotline is 313-361-4000. And our website is just alternativesforgirls.org. People can can reach us anytime through those. So Haven's website is haven-oakland.org. And our crisis line is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and it is 100% confidential. You can reach us at 248-334-1200. Seven four, in or outside of Oakland County. And Beth, our website is our o u r families dot org, um, and I'm actually going to give the national um, hotline <laughs> number instead, um, and it's eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three, and that's the national domestic violence hotline because um, I know your callers are from all over, your listeners, I should say, and are from all over. You had mentioned because of this COVID-19 crisis uh, that there may be uh, situations occurring that hadn't occurred in the past, that it seemed like a safe situation, but all of a sudden people may, for the very first time, uh, be experiencing um, very, very shocking, unexpected, or dangerous situations. Uh, any advice uh, you can share from people for the first time uh, who suddenly realize, wow, I'm in a whole new place in this situation? 
I, I'm happy to take that one. And, um, you know, throughout my career, uh, um, which is now, you know, 30 plus years of working in the, the field of violence against women and children is that, you know, the early years, I guess, of our movement, we probably didn't do the best job of trying to talk about what intimate partner violence is, domestic violence is, because we, you know, we put these posters up of women with black eyes, and it was like, if this is happening to you, call us. Um, but that's just one aspect of it is the physical violence. And so there are so many um, women who don't identify themselves as being a victim, and therefore they would never call one of these hotlines. Um, and so I think that, you know, now kind of being trapped in one's home, starting to be able to see the broader spectrum of what this violence is, the emotional abuse, the psychological abuse, the sexual abuse, the financial abuse, the economic aspects of all of this, I think is probably starting to help some um, individuals see that they don't feel safe in their home, maybe even if violent, physical violence was never a part of the violence in their relationship. And maybe now that's starting to escalate to be some of the violence, that there's actually some physical violence happening. So I think that often, you know, when we, we work with women and we show them the wheel, the domestic violence wheel, the wheel of power and control, and they see all the different tactics that are used. That's when they're like, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. I just never identified with it because I was never punched or pushed or had a broken bone or had to go to the emergency department. So, so I think that that's what we're starting to see. And I think that our role is to help educate um, people through podcasts such as yours that individuals might be seeing television shows, um, um, magazine articles, things that are still reaching people into their homes to help them to understand that it's a broad spectrum. It's not just physical violence. And, you know, I personally um, found myself in that situation. And, uh, you know, uh, here I am. I mean, I was a very accomplished, financially independent um, professional woman. And um, yet I found myself, it's like, wow, <laughs> how could I be in a situation like this? So I think the awareness of early warning signs of what's going on here and not denying it and getting help fast. And I, I'd like to just add that during this, this uh, coronavirus pandemic, for all of us, so many rules are out the window and so many rules have changed. But, uh, you know, we can reinforce the, the, the sense that some rules haven't changed and it, it's, it's still not okay for someone's safety and boundaries to be violated in any of those ways. Those things were unacceptable a month ago and they're unacceptable now and it's it's still a problem that needs to be addressed um now more than ever because of all the risk factors that we've talked about that are heightened and before we leave you uh to go on to your very important work i just would ask you to share how do you do this i mean the work you do every single day is heartbreaking um and um you are frontline uh mental health as well as physical health um, workers, how do you psychologically uh, keep your joy, keep your peace to go back in there as, uh, as strong human beings to do the work you do? For me, working with survivors is um, a, an absolute privilege. One of the greatest joys of my life is uh, helping mainly women, right? Because women and girls are disproportionately affected by intimate partner violence. And so to see the resiliency and the strength of these women that are going through 
some of the most horrific things that you could possibly imagine and get out of bed in the morning and continue on and fight for themselves and fight for their children is really inspiring. For me, just something for survivors to know if they are just starting to experience domestic violence or coming to terms with being in an abusive relationship, it is 100% not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It isn't anything that you did or didn't do. That person is making a choice. They're making a choice to abuse you, to use those tactics against you. And it isn't that person losing control in a situation because often we hear, oh, they snap. <laughs> no, it's not losing control. They're gaining control in that moment. And so they are incredibly in control of their anger and they have just as much ability as the rest of us to not put their hands on somebody else and to make healthy choices when it comes to conflict. The only thing I would add to that is uh, the beauty and value of teamwork. Um, I feel incredibly blessed to be surrounded by and working with a team of super duper dedicated frontline workers. Boy, it's hard to add on to what Melissa and Amy have already said, because I would say all of the above, but, um, you know, that I, I'm not in this alone, um, you know, that I have a great team, um, I have a great personal support system, um, I'm part of a movement, um, and I think that there's uh, power behind all of that. In my leadership at Haven, what is really important to me is compassion, is putting the human back in to the person in front of me. So not just thinking about business, not just talking about, you know, clients and what's going on, but really listening to my staff person and really having an opportunity to get to know them as people and to get to honor the experience of doing this work. It's really challenging. And so making sure that they feel like they matter and they are important is equally as important to me um, as serving survivors. Well, the three of you are absolutely badasses. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Gender violence activists, badasses, Beth Morrison, CEO of Our Family Services in Tucson, Amy Good, CEO of Alternative for Girls, and Melissa Sinclair, Director of Social Action for Haven, uh, both of you here in Michigan, for the tremendous work you are all doing uh, fighting a pandemic that has been raging for centuries and worse than ever during this COVID crisis that has the world in its grip. Um, keep up the great, great work you're doing uh, to stop gender violence. Thanks for being with us. Um, everybody stay safe, stay home if you can, wash your hands. I'm Monica Doyle. And I'm Ann Doyle. Let's all go. Let's go power, power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. Ann and I would love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Ann Doyle LDR on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. So claim yours and put it to work.